Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha, Dr. Tomano. Are you there? Hi, I am. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us today for the podcast. Of course. Um, before we begin, would you mind giving an a introduction of yourself for our listeners today? Of course. My name is Melora Tomano, and I am from California. I um, have been studying the world of ABA for many, many years now, and uh, my love for ABA actually started when I was at UCLA um, and took a class with Dr. Lovas, and then I went and continued that love um, with Dr. Marjorie Charlotte Christie at Claremont McKenna, um, and I haven't ever turned back since. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for joining us today. I think when people are compelled by the effects of the science, it's hard to turn back. I don't know why you would. Um, so I'm glad, glad that you're still obviously contributing in part of our field. Earlier um, on the podcast, we had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Miguel Eddy, um, and I know that you guys uh, work together at the Preparatory Academy. Um, work is probably an understatement. Uh, live, <laughs> dream, grow, build. Yes, yes. Um, so it, we were talking today a lot about shifting the mindset um, from, um, you know, basically intervening in, in crisis management and physical uh, ways. And one of the things that Dr. Miguel had said was, you know, in his first job, he was taught how to how to respond, how to put hands on. And really what we were talking a little bit about in the podcast was, how we move away from that. Can you speak to us? I know today we're going to kind of elaborate a little bit more on what it looks like to to sort of be um, proactive versus reactive. Can you talk to us about your journey with that? Absolutely. Um, like um, Dr. Miguel, I was also taught to restrain, um, went through all the pro-action um, and have been in several restraints. Uh, and over the years, I think what I realized was that in those moments where we're restrained, all we're doing is really stopping the behavior. And so ABA is this amazing field, and we have so many incredible antecedent strategies and so many incredible teaching strategies that what I realized was that by stopping the behavior and not allowing the frustration and the anger or the attempt at communication to actually occur, we really aren't teaching anything except that you need to be held down to self-regulate. And so I really went back and I took a look at all of our antecedent strategies and um, Port View's behavior plans and everything that we needed to really be emphasizing more of to eliminate the need to stop the behavior, but to actually teach through a behavior and help students learn how to cope and calm down and self-regulate on their own. Um, and a lot of that is proactively because we need to have all of that positive practice and we need to be having all the trials where we're demonstrating what they do need to be doing. But then I really started to view the actual challenging behavior as those in vivo teaching moments. So I really moved away from responding to really becoming an interventionist and teaching during those behaviors instead of just holding a kid down and trying to stop it from happening. Could you give an example of what that might look like um, for somebody? Like, how are you going to help them work through something in a way that might feel very, very dangerous to people who are intervening? Yeah. So one thing I always have to do is I have to stop myself first because 
when you're getting punched, kicked, hit, spit on, feces <laughs> smeared all over you, um, the reaction is to stop it. And so my first um, line, or my first thing I do is I, I start to regulate my breathing, and I just start to focus on my own state um, while deflecting. So I think there's a difference between, like, grabbing and stopping versus deflecting movement. And so I try and deflect the movement of the student, and a lot of that time that means, like, going, if they're going to punch me, going in the direction of the punch and then starting to walk with them. And even um, just doing that sometimes is such a different response than they're used to that they then um, are also caught off guard. And then some of that teaching can start occurring. Oftentimes this isn't done with just myself. So oftentimes um, Dr. Miguel or one of our classroom support providers or teachers is with me, and one of us can be working to block any of the aggression or property destruction or self-injurious behavior while the other one is in front of the student really trying to model either some of those breathing techniques, um, representing any visual supports that are needed for them, um, incorporating some of the, the sensory integration that our occupational therapists are working on with the student to kind of get their bodies to relax, um, but really teaching through it. And do we get hit? Yes. <laughs> do we get um, hurt sometimes? Yes. But um, it's nothing so significant that we can't manage it. Um, with our nurses, and it teaches the students then to really um, independently calm down on their own versus relying on us to do it for them. Wow. Uh, quite a visual that you paint there, and I think that's really helpful for people who are working in situations and are or were wondering, you know, saying, like, in my heart of heart, I also want to be somebody who's preventing and not responding but at the same time, um, we want to protect ourselves. So I feel like that the image that you gave in the um, example is really useful. You mentioned sensory integration or occupational therapy um, t uh, calming uh, techniques. And I think it's incredibly important, and we've talked about on this podcast already, the role of working as a team with an in interdisciplinary you know, group of people. Can you speak to a little bit of that and what that looks like at your academy or just in your experiences? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really view um, intervention as a collective, collaborative effort. Um, I don't think with – so we have challenging behaviors, right, and they're an effort to communicate something by that individual. And so I need speech. I need speech pathologists to help with all of those communication goals and the speech or the augmentative communication piece. And then at the same time, I think a lot of our students are so dysregulated that they really need the assistance of the occupational therapists to help them know what is going on with their body, what feels good, what does not feel good, because I as a behavior analyst can't predict that, and I don't know. So when I first started, I started just doing, um, like, the behavioral relaxation um, strategies and curriculum and teaching the deep breathing. But what I learned was that that sometimes, for some individuals, that just becomes another task, and it's not calming for them at all, and it's not calming their body down. I'm just in front of them, again, telling them what to do um, and modeling what I think they should do. And so I really rely on the occupational therapist to look at a student, look at what their body is telling them and what their body needs to calm down, and then those become my replacements. So those become my coping strategies goal, coping strategy goals and my self-regulation goals. Um, it's very similar, again, with the speech pathologist that I mentioned. Uh, 
I really, I know that functional communication training is so important, but I want that to occur in combination with the speech and language pathologist and not in two separate camps. And so we really work collaboratively to develop all communication goals, which are then the replacement behavior goals as well. Somebody that I had the pleasure of working with um, when I worked in Massachusetts was Jessica Minahan, and she's a behavior analyst who worked with me in the public schools, and we worked with a child psychiatrist. And together, Jessica and Dr. Rappaport um, published a book called The Behavior Code. And one of the strategies that they talk a lot about is exactly what you're articulating, which is like when students are in a moment of upset, that's when you you kind of that's when you teach what to do or that's when you can apply what you've taught so as you've mentioned there's the practice there's the routine and then there's the opportunity to apply in some situations um, I know where we just try to avoid the behavior versus you know like people will walk on eggshells and tiptoe yep. and say like I just I know that if we just you know give him free access to the iPad like we won't have to worry about that but that kind of um, misses the opportunity for teaching and doesn't necessarily give that learner the skill for being able to work through really upsetting situations. Um, two questions for you. One is, you know, what research or um, what do you, what resource, maybe resource might be a better question, uh, would you offer to listeners? And, you know, um, well, I guess let's just start there. What resources or research would you offer to listeners who are interested in more about this? Um, well, one, we're starting, we realize a lot of districts have been asking us, can you come train on what you guys do? And using those, uh, the challenging behaviors as opportunities to teach, can you come train us on that? And we have been doing that, but we realize there is this larger audience that needs uh, more resources. And so we are um, launching today, actually, um, it's called tv.theprepgroup.com, and its exact effort is to get those resources out to individuals um, who might need more information on how do you do this um, and how do you use all of our antecedent strategies um, to hopefully lessen the intensity of the behavior, but then, of course, the behavior is still going to occur, so then what do you do? Um, so those videos are exactly that, us in the trenches doing it. Um, the other resources, I think just continuing to go to conferences and to collaborate with people like yourself. Um, every time I interact with other professionals, I learn something new. And I think that that's so important. It's, you know, my, my doctorate and my, you know, work in Dr. Lobos's class, like, really was just the starting point to this lifelong learning. And I think that um, by continuing to attend conferences and then not just attend, but to actually have discussions and meaningful interactions with other individuals that are doing this, we're going to continue to learn and grow as a field. So that's been my best resource um, for sure each other. I like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the second question that I had was how would you or how, you can either kind of suggest or give ideas to the listeners or tell us about your experience, but where how do you find that balance between tiptoeing and avoiding challenging situations and um, you know, constructively having them occur or being prepared when they occur to um you know, you know, I'm trying to say, like, how do we shift from being, like, just the responders, but also really kind of being proactive, but not proactive in a way that we're avoiding the situation, but really working through it. Any advice there? Yeah, I think you have to develop your toolbox. And it's it's a little bit cliche, but I always use this term when I'm training um, 
my staff is I can't give you the recipe. I can't give you the formula because any student is going to, you know, every student is going to be different and every situation is going to be different. And so I think one part of my toolbox is the self-preparation and so taking care of myself, like I mentioned, um, working on my own breathing and my own mental state when I'm going into a behavior. So when you see me going to assist with a behavior, I'm not running and I'm not anxious and I'm not breathing heavily. I'm I'm walking there and I'm thinking and I'm processing, okay, how am I going to approach this? Because if we can approach students calmly and we're already self-regulating ourselves, that's going to carry over to the behavior. Um, the other thing is having all of those strategies, understanding the strategies, understanding why is the student engaging in what they are engaging in, and that can change. I love all of Haley's work um, showing that it's not just one function or the other. Oftentimes it is synthesized. And so you have to look at a situation and, and kind of evaluate in the moment what's going on here. And that also um, takes you being able to um, maintain your cool and maintain your calm. Um, and then intervening. So not jumping into anything too quickly. And then also don't avoid because it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, with you know, in your presence, we are the trained individuals. We are the BCBAs or um, the paraprofessionals that are trained in the ABA technique, the behavior should occur with us because we're the most competent to be able to handle it. And so um, in addition to all of the functional communication training and the antecedent training that I'm teaching, a large part of it is tolerance training. And so I purposely program in stimuli that I know could potentially provoke a behavior because we have to work on the tolerance and we have to work on them being able to demonstrate those replacement behaviors in the presence of the aversive stimuli. And so it is a balance because we want to keep ourselves safe, the students safe, um, but at the same time, they're going to be the safest under our care and under um, all of the techniques that we are, you know, have proven to be effective versus out in the community with maybe people that don't know how to respond as well. I really like the part that you said, you know, if the behavior doesn't occur with us like it should be occurring with us, like we should try to be in the place where we can safely, proactively, you know, contrive or just even predict, you know, when those situations may occur or those upsets may occur um, so that we can not only have our clients work through them but ourselves. You know, when you talk about breathing, I think um, a lot about the – the conversations I've had recently with Dr. Pat Fryman um, uh, about anxiety. You know, he was mm -hmm. we were presenting at conferences and his topic was on anxiety. And um, each time I heard the talk, it was a little bit different. And um, something that I had heard him talk about was how to control your breathing. And he had shared some uh, research where you, like, breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, and release it for four seconds, and do that in a series of four, and something to that effect. And... Um, I uh, haven't really mastered or practiced that a lot in my own personal life. And recently I was in a very um, uncomfortable, anxious situation. Um, I guess I would probably describe it as a, a panic attack. And I pulled out my earbuds. Music normally would calm me down, did not calm me down that day. Aww. And um, just started trying to talk to myself uh, and change my covert verbal behavior. And um, I remembered what at least I thought I remembered to the degree that I remembered what Dr. Fryman had said, and I just started doing it. And it is incredible, and I'm sure anyone who uh, meditates or does yoga or has um, probably worked on Lama's class can tell you really the importance of, of breathing ourselves. And I think that that's 
a really important part of the conversation that we're having today is our own reactions, our own perceptions, and our approach. So that gives a lot of power to the people listening, to, to myself as well, to any interventionist to say, like, you know, we can change some of this situation um, and we can at least change how we are addressing and responding when we do need to respond as well. Um, and I also really appreciate how you talked about redirection and blocking being different than, you know, physically restricting somebody's movement. Um, so I think that that clarity uh, is really useful for the listeners on the call. Is there anything before we head off today that you'd like to leave listeners with or last thoughts or tips for them on, you know, kind of where to go next if this is something of interest, other than, of course, extending the verbal community and attending conferences and checking out those resources? Um, they can, you know, always reach out to me. I'm here. I'm available. Um, again, I mentioned the our, our new TV channel, um, tv.theprepgroup.com, and they can go on there and uh, log in. If they put podcast in, they can get a discount. I'll set something up so that people can get those resources. I know it's a unique – we have a very unique setting and a very unique um, situation at the school because we do have so much support and help. So oftentimes people will say, like, well, how am I supposed to do it in this setting? Um, and that's what this is all about. And I would love to be able to help them do that. Um, and I would love to share our resources with them. Um, in addition to that, just the, the, the mental and physical preparation that it takes, I think, to do our job. I think we get so stressed sometimes that we forget to take care of ourselves, and we've talked about that a little bit with the breathing and um, Dr. Pat Fryman's work and our, our own anxiety, and I think it's just so important. We do work in a very challenging field with a very challenging population, and so to remember um, sometimes it's not the reports or the, you know, behavior intervention plans that need to get done, but sometimes it's the mental and physical preparation for ourselves that might need to get done. So going on a walk or taking a yoga class or working out something um, just to get um, ourselves in the mental state that we need to be and I think is um, equally as beneficial as all of the textbooks and research, research that we have. So I think that's the best advice I could give at this point. And probably one of the hardest things for behavior analysts and interventionists to do. We are so conditioned and reinforced by helping others that um, it can be difficult to focus on helping ourselves. And so it's really good to get that reminder. I just want to thank you again so much for joining us and for elaborating on also what Dr. Miguel had said and for emphasizing the importance of prevention um, and being coming, you know, an interventionist versus just simply someone who's responding to those challenging behaviors. Thank you again for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And for anyone who's interested in more information about applied behavior analysis, you can visit me at www.behaviorbabe.com.